the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, The Four Horsemen. Welcome to this exciting podcast, The Four Horsemen. And tonight we are adding one additional member. So we have with us the uh, esteemed Benjamin Kerfman, and then we have... uh, the less esteemed Derek McCarson, <laughs> and then there is uh, Adam Black. And then, you know, no introduction. You're like sub Adam's wow. here. He's the least, in the corner. Least right esteemed. Yeah. Well, not esteemed. You know, I didn't want to use the word scum or <laughs> something, something like that. And then we black. have a renowned Elvis impersonator with us this evening. <laughs> Okay, and uh, so uh, could we could we get a little bit of that? Come on! Oh, come my, on! My wife forbid me from ever doing that again. Did she? <laughs> Even though you were certainly making more money, Chris Eastep <laughs> is uh, his name, and the pastor of Barberville Baptist Church, where uh, Benjamin Kerfman. Uh, allegedly is employed. <laughs> so we're not we're not sure. We're not even sure if that's his actual name. But he is still currently employed as of this moment. Oh we wow. Have, we have confirmation. Of this, depending on how this podcast closes out. Depending on if I say decision. anything stupid or not, which generally Yeah, happens. well that's a good chance. Well we've got thirty minutes for that to occur. So anyway <laughs> we uh recently we celebrated Father's Day. And so I had this tweet from Pastor Steve Gaines, uh, Pastor of Bellevue Church, and he said this, On this Father's Day, I lament the fact that in our nation, biblical masculinity is derided, discouraged by almost everyone. Christian men have few men telling them how to be biblical men. Whoever does that will make a wonderful, much-needed contribution to the cause of Christ. And so... That resonated with my heart, and so I went out there, and on Father's Day, I spoke to that issue. So what do you think about that statement? What do you think about churches and Father's Day and biblical masculinity, so-called? Did you do anything uh, to celebrate that, to speak to that? Is it important? What do you think about it? Let's just throw that out there and discuss it. Derek? Absolutely. I think it's vitally important uh, to recapture biblical manhood, uh, preach on the topic, um, and raise up a generation of young men who will walk with Christ and lead their families and love their wives. And um, I certainly tried to do my best, as you did on Father's Day, but I think that um, there has been, the church has kind of been behind on this as the culture has uh been taken over by feminism and other isms that have um, eroded the family. I think the church is is, is playing catch up, um, and we've seen uh, several books and films and things of that nature come out to encourage that in uh, churches such as Courageous, 
um, and, and whatnot. I think those things are positive, but I think really um, what it's going to take is it's, it's, it's going to take men raising up other men. So, so I think I think I know what you mean by catch up, but let's let's make sure we clarify that. And I'm not trying to put words into your mouth, right. so I'll let you speak to it. You know, as far as society goes, if there are evangelicals that are trying to catch up to the culture, trying to adapt their understanding of the roles of gender and so forth, uh, if it even takes a modifying of the scripture, a departure from biblical authority to kind of catch up with where modern society is in terms of its understanding of sexuality you're not talking about no that. no no what I, I should have clarified what i should have said is that the church is c- catching up to addressing the problem and addressing the need yes uh, that's what i should have said because we've fallen behind because we have fallen behind yeah. yes in addressing the need and we right. have let the society and the culture set Set the standard. So you're saying we need to go back to the future. (laughs) Instead of moving into contemporary mores and understandings and philosophies about these matters, we need to go back 2,000 years to the New Testament documents and what they have to say. Would that be accurate? What do you mean by 2,000 years? Well, when the New Testament was written. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. I would go back to the Old Testament. Would you go back to that as I've well? I've been hitched from it. Yeah. Okay. I still He's believe unhitched. in the Old Testament. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I got him choked up. <laughs> Adam, how about you? What did you guys do on Father's Day? I anything? preached on anger, so um, fitting Father's Day message. Because um, <laughs> men, men are angry and women are very docile. And uh, yeah, yeah, they're um, no. We, I mean, we recognize <laughs> our fathers, and um, we actually last um, summer. Um, we took a we our Wednesday night. We got together. Um, the women went with the women. The men, the men, and uh, we actually spent about two months um, just talking about what it means to be a godly man. And and it was really cool because I had kind of a structure and a study to it. But we began to talk about the problems and why aren't men stepping up and what does it look like to be a godly man. And we had a a really good discussion with that. And we've actually had some discussions about doing that again um, coming up because the guys really dug into that. And I've actually thought about meeting with our young guys. There's six of us um, and um, on a bi-weekly and, and go through a book. Um, and so, but I think it's vital because, you know, we've become, you know, lazy and uh, we're not leading our families and, um, you know, our wives are the do-it-alls. They're not our helpmates. And so I, I think that, it's critical that we do get back to that because I think I think society is feeling the effects of men not being men. So, but but those very mm-hmm. statements, uh, the popular way of thinking today uh, is that that's sexist. When you identify those types of roles, it's stereotypical. I know in another podcast where we discussed racism and how people are classified by black and white. So they're saying that male and female is the same type of thing, same type of oppression in, in society. And and so how, how do you push back at that? Look at care for children <laughs> in, in our home. I mean, my wife can take care of, the, uh, of our girls in a completely different way than I can, and, and, and vice versa. Um, she's more the tender-hearted, you know, caring and um, – 
you know, compassionate one and I'm more the, you know, even though they come to me, they even come to us for different circumstances. Um, and so I think just in that role alone, just with kids, you see uh, two completely different roles, if you will, both equal, um, but two completely different roles. And so I, I, that's that's the thing I've always pushed back. And what I've found is a lot of people who are saying those things don't have children or aren't married. So they don't even see that as an example. But the care for the children is, to me, the prime example of the differences in men and female, so or men and women. So you don't think that's a learned behavior that's been imposed by society and years of no. oppressing women and, no. and so forth? No, that's a, that's a natural, innate thing. Okay. I believe. Okay. I wonder if God uh, given, let me put it that way. Yes. I wonder if Chris would like to step into this conversation. Oh. You never heard that one before, have you? <laughs> I don't know that I ever have actually heard that one. That's a new one. So, um, what what did we do for Father's Day yesterday, Chris? So I, I finished first John. We've, we've been preaching through first John since January and, and, uh, we typically, um, we typically don't take a break. Like we typically don't do any holidays except for, um, Easter and Christmas, and um, we usually do something specifically on Easter, and then usually like leading up to Christmas, we do something like that. Um, any of the other days, we just treat like regular Sundays. Um, but I think what you're talking about with the with the need for the resurgence of of understanding of biblical manhood, you know, I think there's been kind of this movement over probably the past five or six years in Christian circles about that, you know. But at the beginning, it was kind of going about it the wrong way. You know, there was this whole big movement of like, you know, we need to be men again, you know, so we're going to get together and watch, you know, MMA fights and we're going to, you know, do all this kind of stuff because that's Cook what me. real men do, Amen. you know, and, and there's nothing, you know, <laughs> what is wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but again, that's, that's a worldly standard right. of manhood. Adam you know, that's, that's not biblical manhood. And I think that's important. It's like that we instill, not just in the younger generation, but we have a lot of, of older men in our church who have never understood what it means to be a biblical man. You know, they they have grown up, and if you, you know, you go and interview a lot of guys who I believe are genuine Christians, and you ask them about what even their role is with their wife, they're going to think, well, well, bless God, she submits to me, and I'm the ruler of this head, of this household, and she better do what I say or there's going to be consequences. It's like, well, that's that's not a biblical understanding of no, manhood not, and marriage. Not at all. You know, and, and so I think it's like we, as pastors, not practical because really, I'm sure that's not the case at their house. Yeah, you know, so I think as pastors, we really have to work towards that of educating our older men too, of what the expectation is of, of biblical manhood, so that they see it. Because it's never too late to put that into practice. You know, it's like I remember one of the jobs that I had in, in the secular world. You know, one of the things that the guys like to sit around and do all day was talk about how horrible their wives were and how bad their marriages were. And a couple of times, I wanted to be like, well how do you treat your wife, you know, because that could be a big well, you yes. know, discerner of, of why you're, you think your marriage is so bad. Is that because you're not putting anything into it? You're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. And that probably is a, is a, a key explainer of why it's not going well for you. Exactly. So, so uh, Ben, I think that when we consider this, just like we've talked before about uh, the oppression of people uh, that's real uh, because of race, you would not argue that women have not had limited opportunities and sometimes experienced a certain amount of, of oppression simply because they, they were women. Uh, w- would you debate that? You mean I, I would think that they were oppressed or I wouldn't? That they, ha- that they have been in history. Oh, I think they absolutely have historically. 
So what do we do about that? How do we deal with that? Is the is the flaw this this Christian message of of complementarianism and, and patriarchy? Is that is that the problem? No, I, I think the problem is 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 kind of what Chris was saying is that people mix too much of kind of the world's ideas about patriarchy with scripture's idea. I mean scripture definitely lays out patriarchy. Um I heard I, I would recommend uh, just this last week at the SBC founders did a conference on biblical manhood and uh, Dr. Tom Nettles did a, did a biblical theology of, um, of manhood and the need for patriarchy and did a really good job. I think explaining from scripture uh, why God uh, kind of created man as the leader, um, not as superior, but as the leader and that the woman was created to be his helper. And I think uh, Dr. Nettles did a really good job of sticking with the text and kind of explaining that. It's a lot of information, but I would encourage anybody to go on founders.org and look that up and uh, and check out that, that speech by him. But, um, but yeah, I think that uh, the intention of Scripture when it comes to, to roles is never uh, one of oppression. I mean, that you just don't... You didn't see that in the garden. You don't even see that early on. Um, I mean, the the only context in which you see humans oppressing other humans in Scripture is, is derives out of sin. I mean, there's just there's nowhere um, in Scripture, e- even with slavery. A lot a lot of people misunderstand that uh, slavery w- was essentially a social welf- welfare in biblical times. Of you know, when you think about uh, well, the kings had slaves, and uh, you know. Uh, Abraham had slaves and these other people had slaves. Well, a lot of those people were people who, you know, if they weren't working for somebody, they didn't have food to eat or they didn't have a, a roof over their head. And uh, and it wasn't chattel slavery like in America where these people are being beaten all day and stuff. And solely because of race, you know, really. Yeah, I mean, really the only way that you really see that kind of oppression was, was under the Egyptians, you know, who actually were being cruel to them. Um in a slavery type sense, but as far as patriarchy goes, um, any any patriarchy that is belittling women or communicating to them that they are not valuable or is um, uh, restricting them from things like uh, education and or even the right to vote, which uh, is a relatively recent thing right. in America. You know, even even things like that. You know, those kind of systems. I don't think you you're, you're going to be able to back that up with scripture. I think I think there's world there's worldview issues there of you know if we're all evolved and some are more evolved than others, and if men are primarily responsible for the natural selection process, then that essentially makes them more valuable in a Darwinian system. You know that might be a reason why patriarchy goes wrong is because you know well if you can't build countries with only women or societies or anything else that kind of you've ne- you never read Wonder Woman comics apparently when you were growing up no no I'm I'm more of a Marvel guy the, a- the, Am- <laughs> the Amazons yeah yes, yes. but uh so but, yeah. so so let me come back to the patriarchy thing um, do we agree that patriarchy properly understood is biblical and that if we move away from that that we're really undermining the authority the sufficiency of scripture by by doing so Derek what do you think about that 
Yeah, I'm in agreement. I, I would say that the, the Bible definitely advocates um, for, for patriarchy. The man is supposed to be the, the leader in the home, spiritual leader. Um, but also with a, a caveat there that um, it's not a dictatorship in, in that sense, not, not heavy-handed or demeaning or belittling. It's and the and in the in the order there you have different uh, creation um, in difference by design. So um, recognizing that and recognizing that um, there's a a complementariness between man and woman, and those roles are are there by design to um, complete the home and what's needed for raising and rearing children. And so, yeah, I'm, I would definitely say that. Well, and, and I think what we're seeing, though, in, in evangelicalism is that there is, again, this pragmatic approach of wanting to speak to the culture in a non-offensive way to open up those doors of communication so that we can bring everybody in and have these conversations and hopefully share the gospel and, quote, get people saved. And it's that whole approach of taking away anything that might be offensive right. and yeah. speaking out about matters that um, are not necessarily biblical but, uh, but, but practical in their effect and the way that they're received in, in the culture. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing of how a denomination or a church really becomes liberal. I mean, if you had a liberal church, they're not going to be having this discussion. They're going to say patriarchy's bad. It's an oppressive system. You know, they're going to promote uh, LGBT. They're going to promote uh, feminism as being uh, God's standard, whatever God they believe in. I mean, it might be a goddess. I should throw that in. Well, there. and it's and it's mere Christianity. It's the problem is is everybody's racing each other to the lowest common denominator, you know, until you finally get to a point where you've just you've got you don't even have the gospel left. Yes, you absolutely. Know? And that's essentially what liberalism is. Is like, okay, how much how much of this can we shave off to get as many people in as possible until eventually you just you just end up with nothing left of substance and you've just got this shell of the appearance of Christianity that doesn't actually have any uh, any scripture tied to it or any gospel in it. But, but don't you think uh, that churches, even Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, in, in their attempt to be able to, to reach as many people as they, as they can, that they're, they're undercutting their theology by, by doing so. They're, now, they may say, I still believe those things, but they're not going to talk about them. They're not, the sermon's not going to be preached about biblical manhood. Do you, do you see well, that? Well, I mean, this this is the crisis in the SBC right now. I mean, one of the hugest topics at the SBC this year was on complementarianism. And there, there was actually a formal debate that I watched between Tom Askell and Dwight McKissick on should a woman be able to preach in Sunday morning worship. That was a formal debate that was had. So there's people in the Southern Baptist Convention that are totally in favor of that. And then there's uh, those who are totally against something like that. And, and that, again, that's one of those questions, like you're saying, Dennis, of like uh, the debate basically came down to, do you have a text that indicates that it would be a good idea for a woman to be a pastor? And the answer is no. There's just no text that does that. But when you're going to the lowest common denominator, it's like, okay, how, how, how broad can we make this definition between, say, for instance, the Baptist faith and message says, 
you know, that a woman can, uh, or that the office of pastor is reserved for men, but it doesn't say that the function of a pastor is reserved for men. So now there's room for interpretation. Right. But, but I think if you go into the pew and talk to the average person, you would find in a quote conservative Bible believing Bible preaching church, you would find them say, no, we, the pastor needs to be a man. That's who God intended to be there. But then you begin to explore with them as to why they believe that. You ask them for a text. The, many are not going to be able to do that. Right. They're yeah. just going to say, you know, really, if they were honest, I, I'm not comfortable with this because I've never been there. The, the, the problem is, is that evangelicals are not a thinking people anymore. Nope. You know, a generation How or you two feel. ago. Yeah, well, or just a generation or two ago, it was this idea of, Okay, if you're going to believe something, if you're going to if you're going to put a stake in the ground and say this is a doctrine that I affirm, there better be some some serious critical thought and worldview and biblical study behind that. And the problem is is because we've been a a kind of warmly Christian society for 100 years or more that we've just taken the back seat on that. And so 50 years ago the question of should a woman be a pastor not wasn't even a question. Should we uh, perform uh, gay wedding ceremonies? Not even a question. You know what I mean? Um, I would have never thought in early days of my ministry that it would even be a question. Right. So, and so the thing is, is so many people have not thought biblically about those things because it was just assumed culturally. And so now that those things are being challenged of like, well, why shouldn't a woman be able to preach on Sunday morning? 99% of Southern Baptists are like, uh, I don't really know. I just kind of assumed that that would never happen. And they're not prepared to do that, and a lot of pastors aren't preparing their people to think, which is part of why we're wanting to have these conversations on the podcast, is to help the listeners think through these issues and challenge them of, like, you need to go and study study the Word and really have a well-formulated argument for your doctrine and not just take for granted, well, that's not going to happen in my church. So, so let me throw this proposition out, that if you look at the basic doctrine of the personhood of God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that if you get into a thing where there are these uh, roles of mutual submission within the Godhead, that you're actually working contrary to the doctrine of who God is, and you're undermining those that relationship within the Trinity— and then you're you're gonna you're gonna get there, of course, by starting within the family this thing of mutual submission. So uh, you know a lot of these uh, feminists, what they'll do is they'll take the passage in Ephesians, for instance, where it says that wives are to submit to their husbands, and they say, well, but two verses before that it says that we're to submit to one another, you know, and that means that there's mutual submission. So do you see the connection there with, with theology, and what do you think about uh, about that whole matter? Anybody want to speak to that? You're referring to, like, the eternal subordination of the yes. sign argument? Yes, yes. I don't know what you got, Derek. <laughs> That's Derek, a deep well. Hey, Derek, Derek's the apologist. He probably knows That's more about this That's a deep well. I, I, I really didn't see that one coming tonight. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're let me just clarify this. So okay. what you're saying, Dennis, is that the the feminist uh, approach to the scripture is going to look at that submission and that surrender in the um, Godhead. Yes. Apply that to the family. 
Well, you'd have to because really patriarchy right. centers where? Right. The fatherhood of God. Right. God is father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where it all originates. And if, if you do away with that and you have the father subordinate to the son or to the Holy Spirit or a mutual submission, if you will, um, then I think uh, that that really undermines the doctrine itself. That's what well, I'm saying. What I would point out if we're going to discuss that is that submission or surrender doesn't mean weakness. And I think that's where a lot of the the rub comes in because when you throw out that word sub- submission, it automatically brings up all these other ideas of of weakness or I'm not as valid or I'm not as smart or I'm not or whatever it is that is not at the same level of what I'm submitting to. But um, what you see in the gospel and what you see in the Trinity working out um, is you see different roles and you see a, a, a beauty of that working together and so the the son isn't um inferior to the father no. at and all the spirit is not inferior and and likewise with the spirit um but there are different roles yes, within that exactly and it's a beauty uh, it's a choreography of 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 god working this out within his the community of right. himself and but, so that you see the father sending the son, you see right. the son sending the spirit mm-hmm. and never going the opposite direction. Sure. So, so yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, rooted in the very, in the first person of the Godhead, he is the father. Jesus addressed him as the father. So to me, that is the foundation. Of yeah. The patriarchy. So what I'm, well, I, I guess what you're getting at is that, the triune God is the blueprint for the family. Well, in, in, you in get the, in that the from Paul, the way right. he suggests the relationship of Christ and the church, mm-hmm. an example. Mm-hmm. Sure, that. yeah, I think absolutely. And making that connection is very profound for your congregation to hear that, to say, "Hey, this is this is who God is, and this is He's commanded us to be." to be like him in the way that he has even structured the family. And that and that's really the root cause behind the scripture's <laughs> opposition to the sexual revolution in America is like all of this deal with transgenderism and LGBT and all this other kind of stuff. Um, it's not like you hear these people preach about it like God's just really upset about what people do in the bedroom. And that's fundamentally not at the core of it. The core of it is exactly what you're saying Derek is that um, this picture of marriage is is it's an imprint of God's likeness on the earth, and and it's it telling the story of His gospel, and any deviation from that, whether uh, homosexual, heterosexual, with gender, with anything, any deviation from that, um, is uh, blasphemy because it's distorting an image of God. And so the reason why he's so opposed to sexual immorality is not even because of the act, the sexually immoral act. It's because of the fact that it's it's tarnishing his image. It, it's actually damaging the 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 likeness that he's trying to portray, portray on the earth. And so just in the same way as if we tried to make a graven image of him, it would be blasphemous because it's not going to properly convey that. If we try to do marriage or family in a way other than what he's ordained, it's blasphemous right. to him in that sense. Yeah, too. And that's really what I'm driving at. Maybe it wasn't as clear as I need to be that, that what we're doing when we, when we modify the family structure, and we we take away biblical manhood. It's really an assault against God and His design and His divine 
blueprint mm-hmm. and it becomes idolatry just as you as you pointed out and that's the enemy's whole approach oh, yes. in the lack of belief yeah, did god really say right. that yeah. the man has to be the head yeah. right. and then no god did not say well yeah and, and we see that undermining going all the way back in genesis yep. 3 um exactly mm-hmm. so so let me say this that studies have been done if we want to just talk about the practical side adam Studies have been done that in, in solid, conservative, Bible-believing uh, families that men are more compassionate, more caring, uh, more responsible, uh, more invested in their wives and their children than, than in any other, quote, subculture within society. And, and it's been a statistically proven fact. So far from being the opposite that we're a bunch of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals that are you know, dragging women around by their hair. Now, now does that ever happen? Sure, but, but not because of Scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. contrary to Scripture, yeah. that when I'm serious about loving my wife as Christ loves the church, bringing my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not exasperating them, when I, when I am invested in that, of trying to be a father like my heavenly father, being like unto him, then, then I'm going to be compassionate. I'm not going to be cruel. I'm not going to be domineering. I'm not going to be mean-spirited. I'm going to do all I can to protect and preserve my family mm-hmm. if I have to lay down my life mm-hmm. for their for their sake. Well, and, and, and that's the whole point that Paul makes when he says, you know, no one hates his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. So if your relationship with your wife isn't one where you are nourishing her and cherishing her, you're not doing what the scripture commands you to do. And things like um, abuse and anger and any kind of oppressive behavior is not nourishing and cherishing. Like you, you wouldn't do that for yourself. You wouldn't want somebody to be doing that to you. And so um, to try to associate Christianity and, and that's a whole, we could do a whole other topic on that, but the whole argument that Christianity is an oppressive system towards women is just the most ridiculous thing ever. Because the only the only reason why women really even have any rights or dignity in society at large is because of the Christianity. So let's just do yeah. a real quick uh, lightning round and talk about you know we've we've kind of focused on the family and I think we all agree that patriarchy is a good thing in the family. Is am I am I in agreement? Yes. Okay. So what about when we move beyond that into society as a whole? What about? Uh, patriarchy as a system would that extend to the church in which the leadership of the church needs to be male is that biblical i would say yes yes well, for the position of pastor certainly okay. is. for elders it says uh, he should be the the husband of one wife that's going to be pretty hard for a woman to do. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> not no, I, think it's quite, I think it's quite legal, but I, but I know, but I get, but I get you, I get your point. Well, the argument, uh, the argument that I heard at the founders conference this last week, which was so good, is the is the fact that Paul argues from creation that right. he he makes the argument that the reason why it should be a man is because that was the way it was created in the garden. So Paul makes the argument that patriarch in the home is actually the model for the church. And that's the hardest one to refute because you could say, well, you know, culture, here's a cultural argument or like even you guys mentioned, you know, well, how do we define marriage? You can dance around all of that. But when Paul says it was created this way from the beginning and that this is basically derived from creation, again, you're going to have to undo everything in the garden in order to justify your position. And then, like you said, Dennis, furthermore, you're going to have to undo the Godhead 
in order to justify that position. And at that point, you've got nothing left. Yeah. And, and I think when you go back to the garden, what you what you get there as well, and, and some people poo-poo this whole idea, but in the original Southern Baptist changes concerning the, the family and marriage, it talked about the fall, the fall and how that came about. You know, when you think about Adam and Eve, that men and women are different. And even though they were perfect, there was still that difference by God's design. Men have a way of thinking that would have a direct bearing upon systematic theology and doctrine and maintaining it soundly. We say, this is what the Bible says. This is what we must believe. Therefore, this is what we're going to teach. Whereas a woman might be more tempted, not all of them, it's not you know generalizing, but but she might say, well, this is what the Bible says. This is what we should believe. But I feel like, you know, and, and you go down that way, and, and, I, and I think that that's why the serpent came to Eve to begin with because he knew that that kind of, of argument and debate, that she was ill-suited to deal with that. Had he begun with Adam, you know, I think Adam would just shut him down and say, no, God said no, and that's it. However, of course, through Eve, he found a way to get to Adam. And ultimately, of course, Adam gets the blame because he was what? He bears the responsibility. He's the head. He had the responsibility. He should have been protecting his wife. What did God say? I'm going to put you in the garden, but you got to keep it. you got to guard it. you got to maintain it. And he wasn't simply talking about you know, keeping bugs out because it was paradise, okay? Mm-hmm. He knew that serpent was coming, and he was warning them. Mm-hmm. So any further the silence of Adam. Yes, yes. He failed his head, didn't mm-hmm. he? So what about government? Should women be leaders in government? Hmm. Does patriarchy apply there? I think that's more complicated. We've I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but you know there, there's different levels of government that God has established and the civil government is distinct from the government and the church and the government of the home. So I think depending on the civil government situation, uh, ultimately as believers, it's, I don't want to say it's totally inconsequential, but the reality is, is uh, we don't get to choose which countries we're born into. And so whatever government they have is a government that God has ordained, not necessarily that he agrees with everything that they're doing. I think you could make, I think there, there's an argument that could be made that men should be leaders in the government for the same reasons that they should be leaders in the church when it comes to decision-making. But when it comes to society at large, you're not expecting any of those people to be Christians. And so it's kind of like, what are we going to say that, that a man, a man whose mind is darkened by sin is really going to be a better decision-maker than a woman inherently. I think some people can make an argument there, but I don't know that that's strong enough that I'd really like put my foot down on that. Okay. Anybody else want to? What, what about uh, in the military? What about serving in combat? Adam, you Adam, you weigh in on yeah. this. <clears throat> Depends on the circumstance. Depends on the situation. I think because I mean I worked out on the flight line. Worked on. I was a jet mechanic, and we had we had four or five women that worked out there with us. I mean they were a distinct minority, but the reality was is they actually did a very good job. Um, and now it was. What very, about in, what about the infantry? That's a tough one because I think I believe that if the woman can pass 
the same exact physical standards that are set before she can pass it, then I would say yes. Um, but to lower them to appease that, to, to just get our women quota in, I would say absolutely So, so how many Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, uh, Green Berets, uh, so forth, how, how many of those are going to be women? I don't know how many of them have been. I, I, don't I mean, think. G.I. Jane. I mean, she I mean, my <laughs> my understanding. I could be wrong about this. I, I haven't been in the military. My understanding is that there are different standards in some cases. There are. Uh, well, Air Force. It's better now, but physical standards were completely different. But they were different standards for men and women. But I think what you're getting at, Dennis, though, is is not are they physically able. It's not. It's not can they. It's should they. Exactly. And that's with a lot of things. Like well, I believe that there's women that are very capable of understanding the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. So it's not a matter of can they, as as if they're uh, incompetent or something like that. It's a matter of should they mm-hmm. in those roles. The same thing with infantry. Like, can a woman shoot a gun uh, accurately at an enemy? Absolutely, she can learn how to do it. There's nothing that prevents her from doing that. But should she do that? That yes. that's kind of the question behind it. So, so I'm thinking I'm a I'm a sniper, okay, and I see a kid out there with a bomb strapped on them that the family sent out there that's approaching troops, and I've got to pull the trigger and kill that kid. Uh, that would be awful, okay. But what about a woman who is the nurturer who brings children into the world who has that? I'm not saying she couldn't do it. What kind of psychological trauma would we be doing to a female to put them in that kind of situation? So. I think they could do it, but I, I think I think the where the limitation could be in that situation, and I know that just from my experience, even though I wasn't in quote-unquote combat, um, just worked on planes on the Demgo bomb, um, is that I would say, I would think, and this is going to be completely sexist, but I have to believe that it would be true. That in those scenarios that the 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 SEAL team, or if it was a SEAL team that had a woman or a Green Beret, they would try to take care of the woman. Yes, they would. So they would. They would jeopardize themselves bingo. and their mission bingo. more than likely I because would, that's part of who we are. Right. It's the way we're made. I mean, we all. I mean, the the women that were in our squadron. I mean, we we really try to take care of them and. Um, you know, and and, and it, that's a completely different environment. But what you're saying is, is that the, that there is an, a, a natural ingrained Absolutely. respect for women. Absolutely, God that, that is built there, right? And so, and that would be our argument. And and fundamentally, that's essentially what patriarchy is: is patriarchy is the man saying, "I'm willing to take responsibility in this situation, even at at my own expense. I'm willing to stand up and take responsibility, and she shouldn't have to, uh, because." Uh, because basically she's more important than I am, mm-hmm. essentially. And and the irony that the world and the devil would twist that around to say, oh, you're oppressing women. It's like, well, no, patriarchy is about the protection and enrichment exactly. of women. That That's really the goal of it is, just like you said, Adam, they're not going to put her out on the front line and say, you know, well, you know, she's not, she couldn't pass a test like we could, so let's just get rid of her. Nobody's going to say that. Instead, they're going to be like, well, no, you stay back here. I'll be the one to go right. out there and do it. And nobody's telling them that, and I don't think that's a socially engineered thing. I think it, when you look at cultures in general, it's a general thing in every culture that it functions that way. Yeah. So, so I think in in closing Except this, Wakanda, but. In, in this out, uh, you know, I, I think we could have some discussion, debate, disagreement about how patriarchy works out in society as a whole. 
out in the lost world, uh, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't have implications, but I think we could, there, there's, there's room for us to have those kinds of discussions. But when it comes to the family unit and the church as God designed it as those divine institutions, that patriarchy is his pattern that he's established. It's woven in the very fabric of our being. And, you know, I'm going to open a door and hold it for a lady and let her go through first. I'm going to offer to carry a, a heavy package when I see her with that. I'm not doing that to be demeaning. Now, they may take it that way because that's the way our, our culture is. I'm not saying they're less than me, but I'm saying that's the way I was brought up. But beyond the culture, it's rooted in Scripture for who I am. It's a natural response, a God-given uh, thing. So I'm all in favor of patriarchy. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.